Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. I want you to open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 25, and I want to um, hopefully preach a message that'll be useful to you right today. Here we are on March 21st of 2021, message that I pray would, uh, would speak to us and, and uh, remind us of some important principles in living for God. So this week, most of you probably discovered an extra chunk of money in your bank account. Uh, Uncle Sam has been generous toward us in the past week. Uh, maybe some of you haven't received a stimulus payment yet, but uh, They say it's on the way to everyone. And uh, the federal government has seen fit to rob future generations by giving us an extra $1.9 trillion. Um, Well, I'm not here to argue whether or not that's a good idea. That argument is already over. But now that this money has most likely hit your account, um, I want to preach a message to remind you of some biblical principles, uh, because now uh, that that argument that took place in Congress and between the president, the executive, the the uh, legislative branch, and all of that, all of that argument is over. But for many people, now begins an even harder argument of what to do with an extra chunk of money in our accounts. Now, let me just say first of all that I am not prideful enough to think that I can solve all of, your, all of your financial woes with a single sermon. That's not going to happen. Nor do I have the hubris to assume that I can dictate to you how you should spend your money. But what I do have this morning, I am confident in the Word of God and in the principles that God has given to us in order to treat this, uh, this spiritual truth, this spiritual reality of wealth and possessions, how to deal with it correctly. Now, some people might be thinking, Pastor, I didn't come here to get a lesson on finances today. I can understand that. Let me remind you how often Jesus dealt with the subject of money and possessions. In the New Testament, Jesus said, he, he gave us 38 parables. Right? 38 parables that Jesus told. Can anyone guess how many of those 38 dealt with money and possessions? The number is 16. 16 out of 38 dealt directly with money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses, a tithe of the verses in the New Testament, or in the Gospels rather, are dealing directly with the subject of money. So one out of 10... And uh, the, the, the question I want to ask you to ponder is, why is this such a prominent 
teaching of Jesus and of the New Testament. Why is this? Actually, a more important question is, why do we not hear one in ten sermons about money in the church today? How, why is it that we do not reflect the same frequency or proportion of, uh, of sermons upon finances, wealth, and possessions? I believe because we don't make this connection this morning that the way that we deal with money, wealth, and possessions is a direct correlation to our relationship with God. And that's why it's so critical to the kingdom. So in this scripture, we're going to read one of the greatest parables that Jesus ever told, which is going to give us some incredible insights into our own hearts and into the kingdom of God. Can you unplug that fan for me? Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. It says these words. Follow along carefully. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earned five more. That's pretty good, 100% return. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from the trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Remember, now this is Jesus telling the story, right? This is not Pastor Adam. This is is Jesus, Son of God, teaching us about the kingdom. All right, verse 20. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and here I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, watch this, you wicked and lazy servant. If I knew, or excuse me, if you knew that I harvested crops and didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant 
Give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw, <laughs> this, this goes up another level here. You ready for this? Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, he got a little cranky at the end there. But I pray that there will be some lessons that we can learn from this incredible parable. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying, God, that you would help us this morning. God, renew our commitment that you have called us to, which is to be faithful with everything that you've placed in our hands. Lord, our time, our treasure, our talents. God, this is far more than just a money sermon. God, this is about the condition of our hearts this morning. And I'm praying, God, that you would reveal what you want us to do. We thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. This is a sermon I've titled, Faithful or Useless? Because that was the end judgment of the... Uh, of the owner of these vineyards, these, this manager, this uh, master who had given to these servants, and the final judgment on their life was, for two of them, faithful. You have been faithful, and there was a reward. The final one that he dealt with, of course, called him useless. And what's interesting to me is that there's not a spectrum here. It's either one or the other. And I want to make the case to you this morning that God is looking at us and he is reserving judgment until the master returns for us as well. So I want to begin and I give you some, some very uh, uh, poignant and helpful biblical truths about money and possessions. Number one, nothing that you have belongs to you. It's okay, I'm going to keep preaching. You can get nervous if you want. Nothing that you have belongs to you. This is what the scripture reveals to us. In verse 14, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Consider with me, first of all, that these men didn't have anything to call their own, right? Consider with me that these servants began on equal footing. All of them started out equally poor, equally destitute. And it was the master's goodwill and his trust to put something into their hands with which to do work for the kingdom. In a similar way, we have all started out in the same place, right? You know where that is? At the foot of the cross. Every one of us, to gain entry into this marvelous kingdom of God, we have to understand that we are all broken, sinful people, and we have to surrender our lives at the foot of the cross. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the only way you get into this club. It's through to humiliate and humble yourself, admitting your sins before a holy God that we all have to understand and acknowledge that I am broken, I am destitute, and morally I was corrupt, and I had to come to the cross. 
anything less than that. I'm not just sprinkling a little Jesus on top of my broken life. I'm not just joining a club and adding a little religion to my schedule. No, salvation means I'm taking this broken life, all of the pieces that we busted up. How many know? We know how to break our lives apart into a thousand pieces. We know how to mess things up really well. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus, we can bring all the broken pieces to him. He can put us back together. He can take the heart of stone that this life has broken over again with, with, uh, with addictions and uh, lies and deceit and deception and all manner of wickedness that the world would perpetrate in all of the bad decisions that we make in our own strength and in our own wisdom. But thank God that He is merciful. We come to Jesus having nothing but a broken life. And we say, Jesus, if you're real. I remember so clearly as a, as a 16-year-old kid saying to God, I don't even know if you're there or not. I don't even know if you can hear my prayer. But if you can, Lord, would you receive this broken life of mine? And if you would, Lord, if you would save me, then I'll live for you. I'll do something for you. And here I am, uh, 20-something years later, Fulfilling, to the best of my, my ability, my end of the bargain. And if Jesus never did another thing for me, I would still serve him the rest of my days. Because I came to him with nothing except a broken life. These servants, in a similar way, came to, into this story with nothing to consider their own. And so the Bible tells us in this parable that the master puts in their hands a bag of money. Wow, that's pretty nice. Uh, there, was, uh, there, was, you know, there was no qualification. They didn't fill out a form. You know, they didn't have to uh, give their social security number. He said, if you are my servant, then I am going to give you a bag of money. A bag of silver. In the, in the, uh, in the King James Version, they call it a talent. And uh, people who have tried to figure this out, uh, they say that a talent and the bag of money that they received, a bag full of silver, was the equivalent of about 20 years' wages of a common worker. Did you hear that? One bag of silver was worth about 20 years of a common laborer's wages. So I looked up the, uh, I did the math, and I figured out what is the average yearly salary in the state of Virginia. And I was surprised to discover that the average salary is $64,600 in Virginia. That's pretty good. Now multiply that by 20. That it would equal about $1.3 million. So the equivalent in modern day would be that the master drops off a bag with $1.3 million in cash. That's one talent. And to one man, he gave five of those. To the second man, he gave two of those. And to the last man, he gave one of those. And so this is the second principle we have to pull from this parable today, is that the Lord will entrust the kingdom into your hands. The Lord entrusts the riches of His kingdom into your hands this morning. 
How many believe that when we got saved, that God didn't just, he didn't just save us to exist. But when we come to an altar and when we cry out to God for salvation, he doesn't only just save us. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I wish, you know, that, that people would come to the altar, cry out to God, and then there would be some kind of, you know, teleportation like Star Trek and go directly to heaven. I wish sometimes that that would happen because I understand life is hard. Sometimes people backslide, make stupid decisions, walk away from their faith. And man, I just sometimes wish that they would get saved and go straight to heaven. But you know what that would cause? An empty church. There would be nobody on the earth living for the Lord. And God doesn't want that. That's not God's will. And so God's will is that we would get saved. We would begin living for him. And then he begins to put deposits into our lives. We call them talents. We call them abilities. We call them gifting, right? Holy Spirit, gifts of the the Spirit of God. That God will entrust his riches into your life. Now, that can can be many things. Some, Some of you, God has entrusted a musical talent or ability. God can use that for his kingdom. For some of you, God has given you a gift of encouragement. Somehow you're just a happy type of person and you have the ability to bring a smile to someone's face. For some of you, uh, you're like a black hole and people don't want to be around you. That's not your gift. That's okay. But some people have a gift of encouragement. You have this supernatural ability to lift somebody up out of despair when you pray for them and you speak to them. That's powerful. Some of you, that the Bible speaks about gifts of administration. You're really good at doing numbers and keeping books and, and uh, organizing and doing things behind the scenes. That's great. That is part of God's kingdom. And for others of you, what we're talking about this morning, God has entrusted you with money. With money. And this week, God has dropped a little bag of silver in your account. See, God does that, doesn't he? And every time he blesses you, every time God makes a deposit into your life, how many understand that those deposits come with requirements, come with responsibilities? That's the lesson of this parable. There was one of the, five, one of the three servants who told himself, you know what? I don't want to do nothing with that. I'm just going to dig a hole, drop it in there, hide it so nobody knows where it is, and just let it sit. The other two, they decided that, you know what? If God, if, if, if our master put this into our hands, then it is incumbent upon us, it is a responsibility, not just to take care of it, but to use it, to put it to work. The Lord has entrusted valuable resources under your authority. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one. Remember, each bag of silver is worth approximately $1.3 million in 2021 money. He gave five bags to one, two bags to another, and one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. This is a very important point this morning that we don't want to miss. Just because you look down the row of the church and see that another person has more money or less money than you, 
it does not mean that it changes your responsibilities. Listen carefully. Your job is not to look at the person who has the five talents and say, God must love them more. Not to be envious. Neither is our job to look at the the person who has one talent and say, what a loser. They can't do nothing. It's neither to pity the one with less than what we have, neither is it to look at the person who has more than what we have and be envious. Both of those are mistakes. But the idea from the Scripture is simply to be good stewards of what God has put in your hands. Can I remind you of something? One day, the Master will return we're going to talk about that in a minute. He's going to come back, and he's going to open the books, and he's going to look. And when he judges your life, he's not, he's not going to judge you based on what brother so-and-so did with his money. He's going to judge you based on what you did, what decisions you made. So, there are basically two views of wealth and possessions revealed by our Scripture. Again. Verse 16, there is the servant who received five bags of silvers, silver who begin to invest the money and earned five more. The second also went to work. You know, that's a, for some people, that's a four-letter word. Work. Went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole and hid the master's money. The, there is... Two attitudes toward wealth and possessions. And I was, as I was doing some research this morning, uh, putting this message together and finalizing it, I began to just do some searching online, and I found an interesting website called debate.org. I guess it's a website where they just simply ask a question and ask people to vote yes or no on a certain topic and then allow people to, um, to explain why they said yes or no. So this particular question that I found was very simple. Is money a good thing? (laughs) And I was amazed to discover how many foolish people there are in the world. Because 66%, two-thirds of the responses said money is a bad thing. While only a third, 33%, said that money is a good thing. And I began to read these responses, and you know, people were making the making the, the, the claims, yeah, money is terrible. You know, just imagine a society where there was no money. You know, it would be like Star Trek, and I just work, and, you know, and, and I just do something I want to do, and everybody gets enough. And this is the idea of many socialists, right? Just, just give all the money to the government and let them distribute, because money is a bad thing. I would, argue, I would argue this morning that money is neither good nor bad. Money is amoral. It is not a moral or immoral thing. It is something that is just a tool. Money is like a fork that you eat with. If you go to a restaurant, you don't come out of there saying, man, that fork was amazing. Or that fork was... No, you're going to talk about the food that you ate, right? The fork is just the utensil that you used. In the same way, this morning, beloved, your money and what you do with it is simply the tool. It is what God uses to reveal what's more important. Money is neither good nor bad. It simply is. It's a reflection of the person who owns it. 
If I took a $20 bill, I could use that $20 bill to, uh, you know, to buy some medical equipment for someone who's sick. And then it, somehow that same dollar bill, it could get into the hands of a, of, uh, of a drug dealer. And that could be used to purchase uh, nefarious things, right? See, the, the $20 bills is not the issue. It's the heart of the person who's holding it. And this, was, this is what's revealed by our scripture is that either money is something that should go to work for us, for the kingdom. Money is something that can be used to build things and to grow things and to help the kingdom of God, or it's something that should just be ignored and buried. And Jesus is pretty clear about which attitude that he enjoys more. He says to the servant, who ignored his responsibilities and dug the hole and hid the master's money, he called him a word that maybe we don't want to hear. He called him lazy. You lazy, wicked servant. Now, remember, he didn't steal anything from the master, right? He gave back to him everything that he had deposited. He said, you make sure, check, everything's there, right? I, I, I haven't stolen anything. The point is that he did nothing with it. He did nothing with it. And for that sin, the master of this servant called him wicked and lazy. What does this reveal to you about the heart of God? It reveals to us that what we do with our money matters. So, right here, I want to give you some biblical principles of how we can be good stewards, how we can break free from the attitude of being wicked and lazy. All right? So seven, seven biblical strategies from the Bible, and these are all scripturally based. Are you ready? Number one is that we need to set priorities with our money. Proverbs 24, verse 27, which says, Put your outdoor work in order, and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. This is an interesting proverb because it's speaking about the field versus the house. The, the principle here is that, is that the Word of God is instructing us that before we worry about our safety and security, the house, we should first begin planting seeds in the field. Now, remember, this is spoken to an agricultural community. The field is not just something you need, you need for survival. It is actually the means of survival. In other words, if you're a farmer, your crops are where your money comes from. So if, if a farmer would have taken his money and built the house first, then he would have nothing left to put into the fields. Does that make sense? If he builds the house first, it's like, you have a choice if you have a bag full of seeds. Now, you could take the seeds and sprinkle them on top of your cereal and eat the seeds. Or you could take seeds and put them into the ground, and guess what? They're going to produce far more than just one meal. Now, some people, when they got the stimulus money, <laughs> they sprinkled it on top of their cereal and gobbled it gone. 
But the scripture tells us that we can put it to work. We can put it to work. Put it into the field where it can grow and multiply. So can I be honest with you? As soon as this money started coming in into our house, I, you know what I did? I went to Disney.com. So I started full of dreams. Oh, we should go back to Disneyland. And the, the, the thousands of dollars started adding up. And I thought, oh, it's no problem. But that was wrong. That was incorrect. You can't be wicked and lazy. You have to put it in a place that's going to work for you. It's not wrong to enjoy things of this life. It's not wrong to take a vacation. But it would be wrong if you're in debt. It would be wrong if you've got other obligations and you just open the bag of seeds and... When you could be planting and putting it into the field. Secondly, make a budget. If we've learned anything from Dave Ramsey, it is make a budget. This is a biblical principle. Luke 14, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is teaching us about budgeting. Did you know that was in the Bible? Did you know that, that God has a plan that, that if we're going to, you know, we, we shouldn't just jump out there and, and start something without counting the cost? If you're trying to uh, live life without a budget, you're going to have some problems. If you're trying to, uh, to treat your stimulus money correctly, you don't just blow it all in two days. Put it into the budget and tell it where to go. Number three, build an emergency fund. Did you hear what I said? You know, our grandparents called it a rainy day fund. They recognize that sometimes it rains. There was a generation that came before us, right? My grandparents' generation, my, my grandmother who comes to service, she can remember when there was a Great Depression in the United States. And that generation learned something from it. They learned that just because we're riding high today doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow. And that generation learned how to have an emergency fund. And sometimes it's going to rain. It's good to have something set aside. This is a biblical principle. Genesis 41, verse 34. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land. Take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. And this should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt. A familiar story. We know Joseph. He got this revelation from God from the dream of Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of deep famine. And it's simple, right? Simple to take. Take, uh, take a, a, a double tithe. He said one-fifth. That's 20%. Take 20% of the years of abundance and store it up 
put it away. Because there's going to be coming a time of famine. Now, no matter what your view of the economy is, you cannot deny that you cannot shovel out bags of cash like our government is doing now without some effect. Can't do it. There are financial laws of gravity. And when we are just, when we are just stealing from future generations to divvy out, there's going to be a cost. What I'm telling you is that just because things are good now and things might be good for a couple of years, it might not be good forever. It is wise for you to have an emergency fund. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, our, our friend Dave Ramsey says at least $1,000 in the bank. It's a great place to start. A true emergency fund should be between three to six months of all of your expenses so that if you had zero income, you could still be okay for three to six months. Do you have that? According to many financial uh, estimates, I think, what is it, Dave? Only How many people have a fully funded emergency fund? 4%. 4%. Maybe you should take that bag of silver and put it away. Put it into an investment account so it can build some currency. Number four, avoid debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich will rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You know, some people want to rip that page out of the Bible. Let me just read it again just to make sure you heard it. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You don't need any Bible degree to interpret that scripture, do you? Simple. God's people were not meant to be slaves. And the more debt you have, the further you are in slavery. 80% of Americans are in debt. I think the average credit card debt is around $10,000, the average household. It has a, it, you'll pay a price for your debt. Not just the interest that you're, make, that you're paying in addition to your debt, but this will take a toll on those who carry it. 2014, there's an article in Health Magazine that reports high levels of debt are associated with anxiety, depression, and relationship problems. It's linked to high blood pressure, lowered immunity, and many other physical symptoms including headaches, back pain, ulcers, etc. You want to be healthy? Pay off the credit cards. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have any debt? How much you could give? A fifth biblical, biblical uh, commandment about money is in Ecclesiastes 11.2. It says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. This is a, this is a principle of diversification. The old saying is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Spread what God has put in your hands. Spread it into different places. Don't keep it all under the mattress. This is the mistake of the wicked, lazy servant, wasn't it? He put it all in the ground and left it alone and said, I don't want to pay any attention to it. What God says is, we've got to be smart. We've got to be on top of it. Number six, 
is that as you get older, you should reduce your risk. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 13, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. You know, the Word of God tells us that it's a blessing to store up so that you can leave an inheritance to your children and to your children's children. How come that most of Americans don't even have enough for themselves, let alone for their children or for their children's children? I'm not teaching, uh, the Bible doesn't teach us to be misers, to be stingy, to be Uncle Scrooge, no. But the Bible teaches us that we should lay up something for future generations. What a direct opposite that we're learning from the government. The government is teaching us to steal from future generations so that we can have a party right now. Woohoo! That's wicked. And that's lazy. The average lifespan keeps getting longer because of all of the modern medical inventions and and technology. We're living longer and people are running out of money before they run out of years to live. What will you eat when you run out of money? Twelve percent of the population is now over 85 years old. Do you have enough for that day? Make a plan. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. One of the simplest things that we can do when God drops a bag of silver into our hands is simply to make a plan for it. Have a plan. Don't just let it sit there, otherwise it will disappear. Make a plan. And so, I want to close with these last two thoughts. Number one, the books will be opened. From our scripture, verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. I want to remind you this morning that the decisions you make, your financial decisions, one day will be closely examined by the master. He will open the books. And he will see how you treated his money. How did you do? See, this is why, beloved, this is an issue of faith. This is why this is more than just money management 101. This is why it's a heart issue. Because what we do with our money is how we believe that he is who he is. Am I going to be accountable to God? This scripture says yes. The master returned and called to give an account. Oh, I'm telling you, the Lord keeps good books. If you are concerned about standing before God one day, and you should be, then that should change what you do with the bag of silver. You don't just drop it in the ground. You don't just consume the seeds. Lord, I have to do something useful and efficient with what you've put in my hands. Romans 14, 11, the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend and every tongue will confess. We sing that. We sang it tonight. 
Every, or this morning, every knee will bow before the Lord, right? We sing that, and it's a nice song to sing. But do we understand what that means? It means that everyone will bow to the authority of Christ. That there is a judgment. Each of us will give account to God. How will you do when he opens the financial records? It says, why? What is this about? See, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at your bank account and, and examine it. But the Lord will. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will either receive, we will each receive whatever we deserve for good or evil or what we have done in this earthly body. See, this is more than just a moral judgment. It's more than just an ethical. It's more than just our obedience when it comes to, uh, to uh, living right and how we speak. This is also about what God has put in our, in our lives, the investment. I want to close with this last thought, beloved. You can do what's right. In our scripture, in this parable, thank God that two out of three did well. Two out of three were called faithful. Yes, we focus on the one that was lazy many times because that's us <laughs> most of the time. We tend to be more like the wicked and the lazy servant. But I want to give you some hope this morning. First of all, I want to give you this hope that that you may not have a lot of money in life. You may not be the five-talent individual. You may not be the one that God has deposited everything into, but I see hope in the two-talent guy. The two-talent guy who didn't have as much He didn't have great uh, abundance like the five-talent guy. But he said, you know what? With what I have, I can be faithful. And at the end of the story, guess what? They both got the same commendation from the master. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a small amount. Now I can give you more. Whether it's five, whether it's two, whether it's one, whatever you have this morning, doesn't matter how much is in your bank account. You have simply been called to be faithful over what you have. This is true for the one who has very little. This is also true for the one who has much and plenty in this life. In James it said to warn those who are rich in this life not to be filled with, with, uh, with greed and and. And, and to be stingy. So in the same way, uh, that we can fall off the, the horse on the other direction and, and become hoarders. That's also wicked. But in both cases here, he said, good and faithful servant. And there was reward. Let me ask you, which one are you? To the man who hid the money, he didn't steal from the master but he also did not put it to work. He didn't use it well. He didn't invest. He didn't put it in right places. You know, I've been seeing these articles all over the internet about seven wonderful things to do with your stimulus money. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of good ideas, you know, charity or uh, Bitcoin or, you know, 7,000 things that you can do with it. What about the kingdom? What about the kingdom? 
I'm not making a pitch for you to, you know, give more money. I, you know, that's, that's, that's also a wonderful thing that you can do with your finances is to invest in the kingdom. I'm simply reminding you this morning, this is not a pitch for you to give more money to the church. We're doing great. Thank God. But this is a reminder of biblical principles for those who have a tendency to be more like the wicked and lazy servant, to eat the seeds before planting them in the field. What about you? When the Lord opens the books, what will he say about what you did with the stimulus from 2021? Did you put it in the right place? It takes discipline, doesn't it? I believe God wants to help us today. And if we will be righteous with what God puts in our hands, oh, there is so much blessing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we bring this service to We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.